First Samuel chapter 14, did I say that? First Samuel 14, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, First Samuel. I skipped a few, but I got you headed in the right direction. Don't normally read this much scripture. I'm not gonna read the whole story even tonight for sake of time, but I do wanna read enough of this story to get you have a good idea of what's going on here. First Samuel 14, if you've got it, say amen. amen. Verse one says, now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. Notice this next line, but he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, and the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. Notice this next line, and the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over under the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes and the name of the other Sinah. The forefront of the one which was situate northward over against Michmash and the other southward over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, come and let us go over under the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, do all that is in thine heart Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Can I take a time out right there and say every pastor in America needs somebody like Brother Armor Bear to stand with him. Then said Jonathan, behold, we will pass over unto these men and we will discover ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go up. For the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves under the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within as it were a half acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. Shazam! Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I present to you that what I have just read in your presence has to be considered the world's all-time worst military battle plan in history. I don't know how close you were paying attention while I was reading, but this is bad. How bad is it? Well, let's look first at the two sides in this battle. First of all, the good guys in this story are going into the battle of their life and they are going into battle completely undermanned. 
Let's look at the two sides of this battle that's about to take place. How many do we have on the good guy's side? We have Jonathan, that great warrior, and his armor bearer. We don't know his name. I'm going to call him Brother Armor Bearer tonight. You do understand in, in Bible times that you have the guy out there doing the fight. So you got Jonathan out there. He's whacking and hacking Philistines with sword number one. Maybe he decides he doesn't want sword number one anymore. He needs, maybe he's getting in close combat. Maybe he needs a, a dagger or a knife or something. So you got Brother Armbear, switch him out. Maybe he needs sword number two. So you got the guy doing the fighting and the guy holding the stuff for the guy that's doing the fighting. One plus one, how many we got on the good guy's side? Well, how many are they going up against? The Bible says, and what I read to you tonight, that they, these two are going up against the garrison of the Philistine army. That's the military headquarters of the entire army. Reckon or how many are in a garrison? Oh, let me tell you, I knew I was coming to Rubyville. I know the quality of you get preaching every week. I looked it up. I did my homework. How many are in a garrison? A heap more than the two of them standing down here. Now, we do not know exactly how many were up at Michmash, but in the chapter before, in chapter 13, it says that the Philistines up on that hill at Michmash had 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and soldiers as the sands of the sea. I refer back to my previous statement, a whole lot more than the two of them standing there. Let's just tell the truth in church. This is a suicide mission. Would you agree with me that the good guys are going into the battle of their life completely undermanned? Okay, preacher, we get it. It's bad. Hold on a second. It gets worse. How could it get worse than that? Not only are they going into the battle of their life completely undermanned, they are going while others who should care about this deal are completely unconcerned. I don't think there's any accidents in the Bible. I believe the Bible is perfect and holy and I believe there's no accident that we go from verse one telling us about what Jonathan is daring to do and where do we, where is Jonathan's daddy? He's the, he's the king, he's the military general. He's the leader of this outfit, Saul. Where do we find Saul? We found Saul about an hour away sitting under a pomegranate tree in Migron with 600 soldiers with him. Must have been a pretty big pomegranate tree. I don't know how you visualize things, but I kind of get this vision in my mind of Saul maybe sitting on a lawn chair. He's got some shades on. Maybe he's got two of them guys with them big fans fanning him and he's munching on a pomegranate. Instead of standing on the promises, he's doing nothing but sitting on the premises. Got to be pretty demoralizing for Jonathan I mean, you can imagine what Jonathan's saying. If dad, he's supposed to lead this outfit. If he don't carry him, he's an hour away sitting under a pomegranate tree, 600 with him. If he doesn't care anymore about this deal, why should I stick my neck out on the line? Going into battle completely undermanned while everybody else is completely unconcerned. Oh, preacher, we got it. It's bad. Hold on a second. It gets worse. How could it get worse than that? They're going into the battle of their life. They're going on a suicide mission and they are going into that battle completely unnoticed. Twice while I was reading, I said, watch this next line. Did you watch that next line when I said watch that next line? Twice. First of all, it said that Saul didn't even know they were gone. 
So, so Jonathan didn't even tell his dad what he's doing. So Saul doesn't even know they're going. Then two verses later, it says the people did not know they were gone. That means they, these two are going out into the battle of their life. And when they get to the edge of town tonight to head out, there's not going to be any band playing. There's not going to be gospel cheerleaders saying, Jonathan, Jonathan, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one can. There's not going to be any calls, text messages of encouragement. There's not going to be any gift baskets and care packages. And if somehow they manage to stay alive and come home, there'll be no welcome home party. They are going into the battle of their life completely alone and unnoticed. Got to be a pretty lonely place, huh? Okay, preacher, we've got it. You've made the point. It's bad. Hold on a second, it gets worse. They are going into the battle of their life on an unlevel field of battle. Now look, I'm kind of an amateur. I love American history. I love military history. And I can tell you that there have been times in the history of our country that the side on the battlefield with less soldiers has been victorious. But usually, if you're gonna do that, you gotta have a couple things going for you. One thing normally that you usually have to have going for you, if you have, if you have the high ground on the battlefield secure, and if you have the element of surprise, you might be able to accomplish something. I think back in my mind to the Battle of Gettysburg what some people think won the war for the, for the North. I remember the, the, the whole thing was in question on day two of Gettysburg, the, the Union line was wrapped around like a fish hook and at the end of that line on a little hill called Little Round Top, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain led the 20th Maine Regiment. And you remember Barksdale's, the Mississippi boys were coming up through the peach orchard and they were charging up the hill and, and the Maine boys up on there holding the Union line were out of bullets, they were out of ammunition. But they had the high ground and they had the element of surprise. Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain ordered them to fix their bayonets and that they charged down the hill at the enemy. Wiped the enemy off, saved the Union line, and some people think saved the whole war for the, for the North. Because they had the high ground and they had the element of surprise. Well, does our heroes, do our good guys here, do they have the high ground in this battle? No, they don't. Did you see that part where they had to climb up on their hands and knees to get to the Philistines? Did you see before they could do that, they had to go through two sharp rocks to get there? Did you see while we were reading that those two rocks had names? Who knew that anybody named rocks? Did you see the names of the two rocks? The one on the left was Bozes, the one on the right was Sina. Do you know in Bible times, names had great significance? I bet you're wondering what those names mean. Hey, I knew I was coming to Rubyville. I'm bringing my A game. I looked it up. And I'm not making this up and I'm not being funny. The one on the left, Bozes, in the original language, literally means rock. If you're taking notes, you might run to write that down. The one on the right, Sina, it literally means hard or thorny place. That means, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Jonathan is starting this war literally between a rock and a hard place. That was worth coming to church on Sunday night for right there. 
our folks from Morristown are saying, man, I'm so glad I got to be here for that. (laughs) Well, preacher, they don't have the high ground, but at least they have the element of surprise. Were you paying attention when I was reading? They get to the foot of the mountain. Jonathan puts his arm around Brother Iron Bear and says, here's what we're going to do. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to yell up there to the Philistines and let them know we're here. Are you catching all this? That's what it says. We're going to discover ourselves to the enemy. That's what that means. We're going to let them know. Who does that? And Brother Armand Bear, if the Philistine, if the enemy tells us to stay down here, we're going to stay down here. But if the enemy invites us up, we're going to know that's a sign from God. We're going to win a great victory. Are you getting this? And Brother Iron Bear said, bless God, Jonathan, that's what God gave you. I'm with you all the way. And that's what they did. You who, Philistines, Avon calling. And the Philistines said, I read all of this tonight in your presence. The Philistines said, well, look at the little cowards have come out of the holes and the foxes' dens that they finally showed up. And then the Philistines said, come on up and we will show you a thing. Can you hear them laughing? Can you hear them high-fiving each other, sharpening their swords? And so Jonathan and Brother Armbear crawl up the rough side of a mountain between a rock and a hard place to an enemy of thousands who already know that they're coming. I refer back to my introductory statement. I present to you, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the world's worst battle plan ever conceived in military history, except for one thing. Jonathan had a secret that nobody else knew that day. Jonathan knew that there were two of them down here and he knew that there were 601 sitting under a pomegranate tree doing nothing that should have been there and he knew that there was a heap of them bad guys at the top of the hill but Jonathan knew that there was somebody else present that day on that field of battle. Nobody could see him but Jonathan knew that the Lord of glory was looking down on that day. And Jonathan said, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go up the rough side of this mountain. We're probably going to look pretty ugly and pretty bad, scraped up and bruised and tattered when we get up there. And we're going to do the best that we can when we get to the top of the hill. But we can't do this. It's obvious there's just two of us. There's thousands of them. But we're going to pray that the Lord of heaven decides to get involved on our side. And if he decides to do that, business is fixing to pick up in this deal. Because it doesn't matter to God how many of them bad guys are up there because he's God. And how many know God likes to work when nothing else will work? So that's what they did. They climbed up the top of that mountain. And, and I left off at the story in verse 14. And, and by the way, before, before, there's something else you need to see here. I hadn't seen this. I, I preached this dozens of times. How many, have you ever read something in the Bible a hundred times and the hundred and first time you see something you've never seen before? If you have never had that experience, you haven't studied your Bible enough. But I, I want you to see this in chapter 14. Look, I, I was reading this. I mean, I, I was literally reading the text one night while I was preaching and I about had a Baptocostal spell right in the service. It says, 
In verse 13, Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and his feet and his armor bearer after him and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. And I realized, bless God, brother armor bearer got so fired up about this plan from the bottom of the hill to the top. He got so fired up and he got up there. He said, forget this holding the bag thing. He got a sword out and he started whacking and hacking Philistines alongside Jonathan. Bless God, do you know there's a lot of reasons why when we come to church, we ought to be excited? Has anybody here ever got in a church service and you got blessed because somebody else got blessed and you saw that? When they got under the spot where the glory came out and that bubbled over to you, I have many, many times. There are a lot of reasons. You know a church will take on the personality of its pastors, of its leadership. And listen, it's sad, but a lot of our church, there's no way anybody could be excited or want what they've got because everybody sits there looking like they're having about as fun, much fun as having a root canal, bless God. How many believe that we, and listen, I'm preaching to the choir because this is a lively church, but I'm telling you, never lose the spirit and the power and the excitement and the presence of God that you have here. Don't listen to anybody. I know, I've heard them talk about, I've heard them talk about you myself. You know, all of that is usually just a bunch of jealousy and a bunch of mess. Don't worry. Hey, listen, you might as well just enjoy it. Your car's already been spotted in the parking lot. Well, it's just beside me while anybody want to act like that. Well, when it starts getting beside you and starts getting on the inside of you, then you'll know why we act like that. Little Johnny, he was with his grandpa for the weekend. His grandpa was a farmer. His grandpa had this idea that Christians had to be silent and solemn all the time. No foolishness, no laughter, no expression in church, nothing. So they went to church. They came, didn't talk all the way back to the farmhouse. At lunch, nobody's allowed to talk, laugh, nothing. Ate in dead silence because it's Sunday. Finally, the little boy, he had had all he could take. He asked to be dismissed from the table. He went out to the pasture and there was old Bessie the mule, about 100 years old, jaws about hanging down to the ground. I mean, old as can be. And Johnny got up on the fence post, got Betsy over to the fence, grabbed her by those jaws and said, bless your heart, Bessie. You've got religion just like Papa does. Hey, all I know is this. There's something wrong when we can go to a ball game and scream like a Comanche Indian and then come to church and sit like a wooden Indian. Something wrong with that deal. I used to tell our people, I used to fight for it because it's easy to to get lackadaisical and get formal. But I said, listen, if you want to have a funeral, Murray's is having one at Tuesday at 11 o'clock, but we're not having a funeral service. We're having, Jesus said, I come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. I love brother armor bear got up there and his armor bear slew after him. He got so excited. He said, boom, I'm going to, I'm right there with you. And I left off at verse 14, which says that the two of those guys to an enemy of thousands who knew they were coming, they killed 20 in a half acre of land. I don't know about you. I think that's pretty good considering they knew they were coming, but you could see them. The, the heat of the day is coming. They're getting tired. Their arms are getting weary. There's no way they can do it. But get, and I'm going to, your homework is to read the rest of chapter 14, but I'm going to tell you for sake of time what happens in the rest of the chapter. Exactly what Jonathan hoped for took place. 
I believe that God was looking down from heaven. I just like to believe he looked down and said, hey, Michael, hey, Gabriel, would you look at those two crazy guys? I like those two guys. And God decided to get involved on their side. Here's what he did. He caused an earthquake in the camp of the Philistines. And now the Philistines are waking up and there's all this yelling and screaming and whacking and hacking and the dust is rolling and the earth is rocking and a reeling. And in all the confusion, the Philistine soldiers got so confused, they started whacking and hacking each other. And in all of that racket, guess who woke up under the pomegranate tree an hour away from it? Saul said, boys, I believe I hear the sound of the battle. Saul mounted up with the 600 on horseback. They came to Jonathan's aid. And the children of Israel won a great battle that day, all because one person, I'm not preaching to the whole crowd, I'm looking for one, individuals across this building that are listening to me tonight that'll do what Jonathan did, all because one person got a burden and believed God for the impossible. That's the message, here's the application and we're done. The application to the story that I've just read and given you from the word of God is this. I believe that tonight you and I have a lot in common with Jonathan and Brother Armour Bear for you and I also are engaged in a battle. We are engaged in the greatest battle that has ever been fought. It is the battle for the ever living, never dying souls of men, women, boys, and girls. It is a spiritual warfare. I believe that just like them, we also have a lot of things, it seems, going against us. We too, like Jonathan and Brother Armour Bear, I believe are undermanned. We live in a world. And do you know that our churches, many of them, and I hope that you, again, I cannot stress enough, I hope that you appreciate these two men that are on this platform sitting behind me, and I hope that you appreciate the spirit and what you have here at Rubyville because it is not this way everywhere. You know, listen. I represent Free Will Baptist Family Ministries and in our, in our, in our the, the records that they just came out in, in churches, Free Will Baptist Church across America last year baptized an average of 1.6 people for the year. Less than two baptisms in each of our, and that means, you think of the churches that had many, that means that hundreds of churches not baptized and not seeing anybody saved the baptistry has become nothing but a storage place for the manger left over from last Christmas play. Oh, listen, we are undermanned and it seems and, and we live in a world. There's so many things that the church is competing against. I, I've noticed this weekend uh, as we've come up here for, this, for, for our services, so the, the hotel's filled with sports teams. Traveling, they're traveling all over the country with sports and, and things. There's so many things where it, it seems like it's almost a losing battle. We are undermanned in this fight. And, and we, while we are battling, while we are here, how many know that there are many who are unconcerned that should care about this deal? And can I just, I'm not preaching to them because they're not here. I'm preaching to you. You're here. But I want to remind you, let me encourage you. If you're not careful, you can lose your joy when you're serving in the church and serving God by getting upset because you see that Brother Blabberjaws didn't show up 
and Sister Fluffyhead, she had, you gotta put her picture up on the US post office wall to find her, you haven't seen her and so like that. And if we're not careful, we'll get what I call the Martha syndrome. Remember Mary and Martha? Martha got upset. What was she upset? She was, Martha was doing a good thing. She is in the kitchen making the biscuits. How many know that's a good thing to do? But she got her mind off of what she was doing and who she was doing it for. And she got her mind off of Mary sitting in the living room. And she yelled in there, remember, and told Jesus, Jesus, would you give her a scolding? Give her a talking to her. Well, he, Jesus gave somebody a scolding, but it wasn't Mary. Martha, Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things. But Mary had chosen that good thing that she's sitting at my feet. Let's not lose our joy by worrying about somebody else. Undermanned. Yes, we often labor completely unnoticed. I tell young preachers going into the ministry, listen, you did not need to serve. First of all, certainly don't need to be serving for a paycheck. You certainly don't need to be serving for plaudits or praise because I'm guarantee you, and this goes for preachers and everybody else in the church, someday you're going to be working for the Lord and it's going to be late at night and nobody's going to be around to see you and pat you on the back and send you a card or get you up in church and applaud you. You better be working for well done now, good and faithful servant. And by the way, at the end of the day, that's the only praise that's going to matter anyway. Amen. And are we on an unlevel field of battle? My goodness. I don't have to tell you that. Just look at the news. Look at the world around us. You know, we hear a lot in the United States about the word tolerance. But the reality is our country is becoming increasingly tolerant of just about anything and everything but Bible-believing churches and Bible-believing preachers. And let's leave the church world for a minute. I want you to think about in your life, what is that impossible garrison that you stare up to tonight? What is that thing, that impossible situation? It may be a marriage problem, it may be a family problem, a problem of the wayward child or grandchild. It may be a financial problem or it may be an emotional problem. What is that problem that you just look at and you don't see any human solution for it and you've cried and you've cried and you've tried in your own? What is that that you need from God tonight? And here's what I believe. And this, listen, whether we're going to have revival and whether you're going to have victory or defeat in your Christian life or in your situation determines on whether you believe what I'm about to say is true. Here's what I believe. I believe that the same God who heard Jonathan that day thousands of years ago is the same God that you and I serve. He is still on the throne tonight and he hasn't lost one ounce of his power. He is still able to work in our situation. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Now, you've said amen very enthusiastically and that's great. But my question tonight, the challenge is, is there somebody? I'm not talking about the whole crowd. I'm talking to somebody who desperately needs God to work. Are you willing to put him to the test as Jonathan did? Well, God already knows what I need. But like any good father, he waits to hear for his children. I just kind of imagine, I just kind of imagine Jonathan at the foot of that mountain. And Brother Armour Bear has listened to this whole plan. And I just imagine Brother Armour Bear saying, do you believe that this can work? I just imagine Jonathan looking over and saying, it may be. He's still God. He's still able. And listen, I have seen this played out time and time again 
in my life and my ministry. And I know that you have too. Time and time again. We just left this morning up in Creston, Ohio. In service this morning was a couple named JP and Nancy Coons. They live just outside of Creston there. JP was a good man, but he was a lost man. How many know sometimes that's the hardest to win? His wife, Nancy, prayed for him almost 50 years. When he retired from the automobile industry, they moved out to our little village. And he would come to church. But I'd talk to him, I'd say, JP, don't you think it's time to get saved? He said, I'm just biding my time, preacher. I thought, JP, you're no spring chicken. You got COPD, you're on oxygen. I mean, today's the day of salvation. You ever prayed for somebody, for something, you just thought it was impossible, it wasn't gonna happen? That's, JP was just a tough nut to crack. One Sunday, they came to church. And it wasn't even, I, I don't remember what I preached, but I had told the sound man to get the song, The Anchor Holds. I sing that sometimes. I said, get that ready, I'm gonna sing that for invitation, not something I normally would do. And at invitation, I began to sing that song. It's five minutes and 45 seconds long. JP told me later, he said, preacher, that song's a minute too long. Because nobody knew it, but JP was under conviction that morning. And four minutes and 45 seconds into that song, JP looked at his wife, Nancy, after 40 plus years and said, let's go. And Nancy, after praying for him all that time, he, she thought he meant let's go home. She got out in the aisle and headed to the door, but when she got to the door, she turned around and JP was headed to the altar. Oh, listen, I, I'll never forget it in all of my life. What a, I mean, I got over there to him. I couldn't say, I was trying to talk and I couldn't get anything out, but he is already praying. Don't you love to hear somebody pray that doesn't know all the these and the thous? And JP was praying, Lord, you know what a sorry rascal I've been, but if you'll have me, I'll give you everything I have left. And let me tell you something, JP meant it because he became the best member of our church. You say, does that happen all the time? When everybody comes in lost, does everybody get saved? No, but can it still happen if God's people get a burden, if we sow in tears, if we cry and get a hold of the horn? It may be he's still in the saving business. And so what do you need from him tonight?